Welcome on in to VG Emporium, video game music and more. I'm your host, Rage Cage, and today we're gonna get booking. Is that is that a good way to put it? Talking about books? Booking? Yeah? Well, in any case, uh, before we get into it, I'd like to announce that, yeah, as you could probably tell, this is episode 91. We're getting the, on the countdown to episode 100, and I have finally figured out what I want to do for 100, and that is, and that is listener, or maybe I should say customer, favorites. The idea is, let me know what your favorite track was from your favorite episode, and I will play it on that day. And um, I've had some folks saying I should do 100 for episode 100, but that's just madness. But um, I'll take plenty, as many as I can, and I'll see how much I can do. So, how can you let me know what you would like me to play for you on episode 100? Well, you can send it on over to vgemporium at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me at the VG Emporium on Twitter, Instagram, or even on the Discord if you're already on there. As to the format and style of the episode, that I'm not quite sure of. Um, hopefully I'll have that figured out before halfway. So get to thinking, get to listening, and let me know. So now to the topic at hand. We're talking about video games based on books. Not video games based on adaptations, like you know movies and TV shows and whatnot on the books, but um, games that are directly based on the books or adaptations themselves of the book. And starting us out here was Intro from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings Volume 1, Amiga version, composed by Charles Deenan. So yes, Lord of the Rings, one of the most beloved fantasy series. And it basically created the modern fantasy genre. Not only that, but RPGs, you know, tabletop, video game, you name it. You know, an eclectic party of warriors, unlikely heroes, and wizards going off to fight a great evil. And you know, there's much more to it than that. Um, you know, for this series, like the story, it's really great, but the most important part of it is the world building that J.R.R. Tolkien put into it. You know, I gotta say, um, I only recently read this series like a few years ago. Um, I have read other fantasy series that are way more elaborate than, than Lord of the Rings. You know, with all kinds of interweaving narratives, multiple characters, side characters, and even ones that contain like multiple worlds that are connected somehow, but... Even then, I can't deny that J.R.R. Tolkien created this world that is just full and so much story in the subtext for both the immediate story as well as for the history that is behind the world. And I apologize if I'm speaking utter nonsense here. Um, literary commentary and analysis is definitely not my forte. And again, only having read the books recently, I don't have that much connection to them. So now this game here. Um, this is a role-playing game that was originally released on DOS and then ported to Amiga. NEC PC-98, and FM Towns. And as I said, this game is based on the book, um, The Fellowship of the Rings in this case, um, though s some of the CD-ROM versions do contain cutscenes that are from the Ralph Bakshi animation. And as you would expect, it would follow the story pretty closely. You know, you start off as Frodo, and then you meet Gandalf, and then you get Samwise, you go off on your journey, meet up with the other two hobbits, then you meet with Amber Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, and fucking um, Riverdell, Rivendell, Rivendell? Rivendell. And then you got Boromir, and then depending on which, uh, you know, adaptation you're watching, you either get some red-bearded guy with a Viking helmet, or, uh, you know, Sean Bon. Sheen Bean? Sean Bean? Sheen Bane? Whatever, the guy that pretty much dies in whatever movie he's in. Yeah, you know, they become a merry party, they go on their adventures, uh, all fun times ensue, they go through the fields, they climb the snowy mountains, they go through the mines of Moria, and, uh, you know, all this usual beats happen, except there are some changes for video gaminess in the story, I guess. It all has to do with some like weird roundabout way of getting to, uh, you know, Galadriel's place and seeing the mirror thing, you know. And I think I read it changed the ending somehow too, but I don't know. Onto the game itself. 
and this being an RPG, a CRPG, um, you're wandering around the world map with your party members all around you, following you and stuff, and then you meet up with characters, then it's all menu-driven. And uh, battles are also on the same world map thing. And as far as music, uh, you know, at least for this Amiga version, there's only really the title screen, and then there's a bunch of jingles and sound effects. And for the most part, you know, for this intro song here, it's pretty dang good. It, it definitely fits the epicness that is Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, has that right sound to it. And that's no wonder because uh, the guy Charles Dean in here, um, though having only like kind of like a humble start, you know, with games like Hawkeye, Scorpion, Battle Valley, Stormlord, uh, doing sound effects for Golden Axe conversion. And this game, he has had a pretty ding dang big career here. I mean, get this, we got Mario Teaches Typing, MC Kids, the Lost Vikings, all kinds of sound design for Clay Fighter and Clay Fighter 2. Clay Fighter, folks! But to get serious here, he has worked on some pretty big titles, both, you know, making music and sound design. Um, you know, we got Fallout, Boulder's Gate, Fallout 2, Boulder Gates 2, Boulder Gates Dark Alliance, Enter the Matrix, True Crime Streets of LA, Need for Speed Underground, and then jumping ahead, we got Star Wars Battlefront, XCOM 2, Gears of War 4, and then jumping ahead again, we got Gears 5, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Star Wars Squadron, and his latest credit in 2023 being the Dead Space remake as Supervising Sound Editor. So yeah, this guy is big time. Alright, time to move on here. We're going from fantasy to murder mystery here. We have Theme 4 Karnak from the game Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile by Strategic Music Studio. Theme 4, Karnak, from Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, composed by Strategic Music Studio. And this here is a hidden object game, so you gotta 
search through these rooms, just still images, with a bunch of stuff all over the place, and find the clues that are based off, like, some, uh, you know, hints that you have. And it pretty much follows the story of the book pretty closely. You know, you play as Hercule Poirot, or, um, as the properly say it, Hercule Poirot, as he is on holiday in Egypt and getting ready to board the ship Karnak to go down the Nile, he is approached by Lynette Doyle Ridgway, and she tries to commission Poirot to deter a uh, former friend of her fiance, Jacqueline de Bellefort, um, who has been obsessively hounding her throughout, like you know, her vacation. So, like you know, through shenanigans on the boat and such, uh, Lynette ends up being murdered, and so Poirot is on the case. And so now you, as Poirot, has to go through all these rooms, find the clues, interview everybody that's on the boat and try to find out who the killer is. Now, this game here doesn't seem all that exciting, probably isn't, but, um, you know, it's all about mind stuff, like, it's puzzle, it's a puzzle, basically. And, uh, so, but the artwork is really nice, all the characters have really nice portraits, and, uh, when you have them all in a room together, they all look like kind of cutouts. It's kind of interesting looking. And as for how Poirot himself looks, he looks pretty, uh, spot on to, like, you know, how the character looks, or at least how I'm used to seeing, uh, in the television series, Agatha Christie Poirot, as played by David Sochet which um, I love. I really like that show. You know, the different actors that have played Poirot, um, I, I like David's. Um, uh, Kevin Brana, who uh, plays him recently in the Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile movies that just came out recently, they're much more, his take is much more brooding and uh, serious. It's good, don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, it's not my Hercule Poirot. But now a funny thought just came to me. Imagine if Hercule Poirot wasn't in the story, it was Hercule Satan, savior of the world from the villain's cell. I would imagine the story would be over pretty quickly because he'd be able to sniff out who the killer is even before the murder happens and take them out with a dynamite kick! Ah, jeez, now I want to see Hercule's stories adapted with Dragon Ball characters with uh, Hercule Satan taking the role as Hercule Satan. But enough nonsense. Uh, about Strategic Music Studio, they've done music for, you know, mostly PC schlock games like this, starting with James Patterson Women Murdered Club, and just jumping around here, we got Jumpin' Jack, uh, Dracula Undead Awakening, Fairy Tales, Three Heroes, uh, Agatha Christie, Dead Man's Folly, Rihanna Ford and the Da Vinci Letter, Matchmaker, Joining Hearts, Strange Cases, The Lighthouse Mystery, Cradle of Rome 2, The Treasure of Montezuma 3, Royal Envoy 2, Dark Strokes, Sin of the Fathers, 9, The Dark Side of Notre Dame, Braveland, Warhammer 4000 Space Wolf, and Trick and Treats. Yeah, so mostly puzzly, whodunit, hidden object games with uh, some outliers. So now moving on, we're getting into something that um, I do hold near and dear to my heart, um, the, the series, not the game. I've never played the game, but um, so what we got here is White Tower from Wheel of Time, composed by Robert Berry and or Leif Sorby.
and that was White Tower from Wheel of Time, composed by Robert Berry and or Leif Sorby. And as I mentioned, uh, yeah, this series I hold dear, dear to my heart because this is my, like, first actual fantasy series that I really got into. And it has been around in my life uh, for as long as I can remember because uh, my mom was reading these books when they were coming out, the first one being, like, 90, 1990, and I remember seeing them in her bookshelf, like, you know, they had pretty interesting uh, book covers. And uh, I didn't start reading mine until 2000, the summer of 2003, but my grandmother decided, we're going to get you Eye of the World, which is the first book, and you're going to read this and you're going to like it. And, yeah, I did. And let's see, 2003, that would have been when Crossroad of Twilight came out. That would be book 10. Ah, oh, yes, I forgot to mention, this book is 14 books long, um, 15 if you include the prequel. So, yeah, let's see, I've read the entire series, you know, from book 1 to book 14, about... Two times. The first time when the, you know, book 14 came out, A Memory of Light, and then the second time would be uh, recently within like the last three or four years. So now to explain the story of the series, it's uh, a little tough because much like how J.R.R. Tolkien did with the Lord of the Rings series, there's a lot of history and world building around this, but I honestly don't know how to explain the story without spoiling anything if you haven't read the books because, yeah, I don't want to do that for anybody because I said I enjoyed reading these series and if you want to get into reading it, um, you know, like I said, it's a little bit of a slow start, and there are some books in the series, you know, this 14-book-long series that are slogs, but for the most part, the story is really well done. I mean, let's see, what can I, what I can say is that, you know, the first book starts simple enough. It follows the formula of, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, you know, a group of friends that all grew up together in a very small village that is sequestered away from the rest of the world um, are all of a sudden just taken away from there and thrust into the world at large into the greater scheme of things of Dark Friends and Aes Sedai and potentials of the uh, Dark One and the Last Battle coming. You even have your Orc and Ringwraith equivalents in the uh, Trollocs and Myrdral. But there are some things in this first book that are, um, you know, definitely kind of deviating from that formula, but for the most part, it follows a pretty standard fantasy story, you know, story beats. But then it's the second book where things really start getting interesting, like, you know, more introduction of the different countries and nations and cultures and even more world building. I mean, it, this, uh, it gets crazy and just like each book introduces more and more and more and more to the point where it's horrifyingly overwhelming with like, you know, main characters, secondary characters, thirdary characters, sub characters, those characters, um, just all these different like moving parts. Um, my grandmother, um, probably the best word to put is obsessed. I mean, she became a super nerd for this series. Uh, she created her own appendices and all these different references and everything's for all the characters, the terms. All like the different like uh, Aja for the Aya Sedai and who w are within those Aja and confirmed and yeah she has just notes and notes and notes and notes within the books separate notes and she uh, gave them all to me just recently in like this huge box and I haven't really got into it because it's just so overwhelming but let's step back and uh, let me tell you a bit about this game here which is simply called Wheel of Time and it is set 150 years before the events of the first book. Story-wise, um, though Robert Jordan, like, you know, came on to consult for it, you know, helping with, like, you know, kind of some lore things and how mechanics and everything, it's not considered canon to the actual story. So in this game, you take the role of Elena, who is an Aes Sedai of the Brown Aja and also Keeper of the Chronicles, who is the, um, basically the second hand to the Amarlin Seat, who is head of the Aes Sedai. A little pause here, Aes Sedai are women who can channel the One Power, or the female side, Sadar, there's a lot more to unpack there, but we're going to keep going. So Elena is, uh, you know, reading a report, is knocked out by assassins. They steal a object from her, which is called a Terrain Girl, um, when uh, they did not take the quill under seals, which they were actually after. And so this sets off an event, set of events where she goes and tries to recover the Terrain Girl and all these crazy shenanigans go on. And you would expect maybe a game based off a fantasy series as epic as this would be another RPG. But no, this is an FPS of all things. 
And instead of using weapons, uh, Elena use, channels the one power. So, like, um, she's not a very strong channeler. Pretty weak, actually. So you gain access to other Tangrel, who, which can, uh, you know, give you access to stronger channeling. Or give her access to different kinds of attacks. Uh, in the case of the Tangrel that can enhance her channeling, um, that would be called an Angrel. But I don't know if this game is, like, you know, actually touching on that or anything. So we're just gonna keep calling it a Tangrel. So as the name of the song says, White Tower... This section of the game takes place in the White Tower, and uh, which is where Aes Sedai are centralized on the island of Tarvalon, which is shaped very much like a very much, well, you look at the map of Tarvalon and you'll see. You know, now talking about this song here, um, I, I guess it fits within the world of Wheel of Time. Um, you know, I can't really quite say what I think the sound of Wheel of Time is, but you know, hey, this fits, though um, the rest, some parts of the soundtrack you know, electric guitar in it, mixed with in with this kind of renaissance-y kind of sound, because the Wheel of Time takes place in a time where it is more of a renaissance. So, uh, for the composers, um, Leif Sorby, um, this is his only credit that I found. And then for Robert Barry, um, what he did before this was uh, the Big Bunyan Riders and the, some voice talent on Carnival in the arcade, of all things. And then he worked on uh, Cruise Exotica, Arctic Thunder, uh, MLB Slugfest 2004, uh, Karaoke Revolution, Shrek 2... DreamWorks Shark Tale, and then uh, more Karaoke Revolutions, Volume 2, 3, and Party. And that's it. So now, I'm going to talk a little bit more Wheel of Time, because uh, when else am I going to get a chance to do this on my own show? So, uh, yeah, this book went on for, this series went on for a long time, and actually, uh, Robert Jordan, the author, um, actually passed away in 2007 due to a uh, blood disease. And so there was a point where, you know, we were all, are we, is this ever going to finish? I mean, this is, like, we're getting so close to the end, we're at, like, book well, thankfully, Robert Jordan had taken extensive notes about, like, you know, the events that would be taking place for the end of the book, as well as for all the characters and stuff, because, you know, having built this entire world, you would have to have all these notes for things. So, um, his wife, Harriet McDougall, tapped a relatively new author, uh, Brandon Sanderson, who had written Elantris and Mistborn before this, to finish the last three books, which he did pretty well. Um, you know, there were definitely some tonal changes, like, you know, with how um, he wrote and everything. But for the most part, he did a really good job. And uh, this, in co of course, introduced me to Brandon Sanderson, and I started reading his works, and now I am fully deep in the Cosmere. Uh, currently waiting for uh, Stormlight 5 to be uh, finished, which will be another year or so. Um, currently waiting for Secret Project 4 to arrive, which um, I'm pretty excited for. And uh, Brandon Sanderson is another author I would highly recommend you check out because... All his books are really good. They're all connected, a majority of them, within this place called the Cosmere, which is a, you know, a universe of different planetary systems and such. And all their magic systems follow these different rules and laws that, um, you know, are pretty much uh, somewhat universal throughout the entire Cosmere. And, uh, yeah, uh, a good place to start would be Mistborn, if uh, you're interested. And then there's also a few podcasts, such as uh, the uh, Shardcast, run by the 17th Shard, and Cosmere Conversations. Um... Make sure to find episodes that are spoiler-free if, uh, you know, you're uninitiated. And then one last thing, um, if you don't feel like reading a 14-book series, and, but just want to kind of get a taste of Wheel of Time, there is the series that is being produced by Amazon. But I will warn you, this show deviates from the, uh, the book uh, in pretty big ways, um, as far as, like, some characterizations of characters that aren't there at all, um, some of the, like, the story beats and elements and such. Um, you know, it's okay. Like, the first season... Um, it's okay, you know, fair to middling. Uh, the second season, which I've only watched three episodes of so far, which Shadow dropped out of nowhere, so I just binged those three, um, is actually pretty good. Uh, still, a lot of big changes and introduces some characters that were supposed to be introduced in the first book or season one, 
And uh, combining elements of see, uh, book three into book two, and just, you know, I can kind of see where they're trying to go with it and do with it, but it still is really weird and fascinating to see what they're doing. Um, you know, luckily I'm not a uh, uber fan where I'm like, this is not exactly like the book, I can't watch this, it's not random. Um, no, I'm kind of, I'm interested to see what the hell they're doing with this uh, beloved series that I love so much and doing a new thing. Like, hey, way I look at it, it's just another turning of the wheel. Because we do get introduced to some ideas of like alternate worlds in Wheel of Time uh, book series. So this could just be one of those alternate realities that could be reached by a portal stone, say. All right, enough of my talking here. I've been at, it's been eight minutes already. So I'm gonna, we're gonna get into our next song. This is BGM1 from Dracula Hakushaku, composed by Ryo Takami and or Kanamori Naoki. BGM1 from Dracula Hakushaku, composed by Ryo Takami and or Kanamori Naoki. So Dracula Hakushaku, or The Man Called Dracula, is a very interesting title. It um, It is a visual novel slash adventure game. And, uh, you know, whereas most Dracula games, you take on the role of a protagonist such as John Harker or even Von Helsing to go take out Dracula. You're actually taking on the role of the Lord of Darkness himself. So the story is that Dracula returns to his castle only to find all his entire harem of vampire women slaughtered, most likely by Von Helsing. And so he goes on an adventure of seduction. So a lot of H scenes ending with him biting their necks and turning them into vampires as well. And just violence. Lots of violence. A lot of bloody, gory violence. So like I said, this is a visual novel slash adventure game. So um, whereas like it's just still screens, 
Um, the adventure game part comes in where you collect icons to take do actions so you can move from screen to screen. Um, if you encounter somebody, you can use all different actions like, you know, talk to them or kill them. And then in the sexy scenes where there's all the nudie bits and stuff, you can choose different ways to do kind of sexual stuff or to end with a bite. So definitely an interesting take on Bram Stoker's classic. And, uh, you know, I haven't played this game, of course, because it's all in Japanese and there isn't an English translation of it. But um, just looking at screens and stuff of it, it is a beautiful looking game. Just like all the stills and everything are really detailed. Uh, very muted colors, too. Not bright at all. And, um, and of course, the highlight being the music by Ryo Takami and Kanamori Naoki. So we'll start with Kanamori Naoki because they have the least credits I could find. Um, starting with uh, Dengenki Nurse in 1992 and then Marine Filt, Angel, Dengenki Nurse 2, more sexy, and then J. Jushinden Javald in 1997. And then we have Ryo Takami, who is most well-known for his collaborations with Ryo Umimoto on projects such as Eve Burst Error, Ground Seed, and Yuno. His other works include Ken Ken Bunny Superior, Cosmic Psycho, a personal favorite, Rusty, Rima the Truth, Death Smiles in 2009, Instant Brain, Neighbor, and then Espagluda 2 in 2021. Now getting to our last track of the day, we have another uh, fantasy series here. This is, um, the only title I could find is F-W-A-A-N-D-B, or Fwanvd from Dragon Riders Chronicles of Pern on the Dreamcast, composed by Laurent Parisi. And that was Fwandb from Dragon Riders Chronicles of Pern, composed by Laurent Parisi. So the Dragon Riders of Pern is a sci-fi fantasy series that I have not read at all. Um, the only reference I have to it is this book that my mom had called the uh, the Dragon Lover's Guide to Pern, which um, you know I had no idea what any of the terms or the words. There was a lot of words in it that I did not understand because I was a little kid. I couldn't really read that well, but all I knew is it had really cool pictures of dragons, really interesting, cool-looking dragons, like compared to standard fantasy dragons. So I couldn't really tell you anything about what the series is about, whether it follows like a, you know, a straight storyline or if it's a generational thing, whatnot. Um, what I can tell you is that this game, I guess, um, is not based on any of the books, really. It takes place after a certain event called the Seventh Pass, which is basically like a half-century rotation of this uh, Red Star, which is a major player in the uh, planetary system of Pern, I guess. And so the game itself is a uh, 3D adventure game that has four chapters and many subplots within those chapters. And just now looking at some gameplay footage of this, you know, um, it looks okay for 2001. Um, it's a little kind of uncanny, like the characters are just kind of staring with their mouths moving and stuff when they're talking. And I just actually, one of the scenes I just watched, 
this song is playing and it looks like it's in some kind of uh, bass or something. So there we go, dragon bass, I don't know. And getting a little further into the gameplay footage, uh, seeing some of the combat is kinda <laughs> kind of funny. Like the guy just swings his sword and uh, the thing that he was swinging at just made a little squeaky sound and then it just falls and it says strength increased. And then you proceed to adventure further and uh, I guess you do exploration by prompts. Like you go up against the ledge and it'll say, hey, there's a ledge here, you do this. And he goes up and does it. And it's just a lot of walking around, a lot of exploring and walking around and janky fighting. So now getting onto our composer here, Lauren Parisi. Uh, they worked on Mission Sunlight starting in 1998 and then Dracula, The Resurrection and Last Sanctuary, Necronomicon, The Gateway to Beyond, um, Inquisition, and then Raymond III, Hoodland of Havoc in 2003. And that's all I got for you on that. And that's all I have for you today. So thank you again for coming into VG Emporium, video game music and more. And I'll remind you here that again, we're coming up on episode 100. So send me in your favorite track from your favorite episode. Um, you can, again, you send it into VG Emporium at gmail.com or at my uh, social medias on Twitter, Instagram, or on the Discord if you're on there. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a pretty recent listener or been listening since the first episode. Just send me the one that, send me the track that you want me to play for you, and I'll do my best to get it in there. And if you happen to be a new listener just for this episode, well, you can find VG Emporium on all your favorite podcatchers such as Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, as well as on the site TerraPlayer. But if you prefer to listen to your podcast from the source, then uh, you can go to vgemporium.wordpress.com, where I have all the episodes as well as the show notes. Yep, I'm definitely looking forward to what your favorite tracks are.